Very, very good. I hope you've had a great week. I hope you've uh, enjoyed uh, some fellowship with other Christians at some point during the week. If not, this is a great opportunity. That's why we come, so that we can share together, we can sing together and be encouraged, be uplifted, hear God's Word, get refreshed and refurbished for the work that God has for us for this week. If you would like, I would ask if you could stand with us. We'll begin with prayer and then we'll start into the uh, worship music that we have for this morning. So pray with me. Father, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for your watch care for us over the week. We're probably unaware of how many times uh, you were there leading us, guiding us, protecting us, providing for us. And we fail to see that. We fail to thank you for that. So we stop now to just maybe remember and realize uh, how much you love us, how much you lavish your grace and your mercy on us every day. Your forgiveness of our sins and the fact that you give us your spirit to give us the power to overcome and live for you. We just have to take advantage of that. We just have to put on the spiritual armor that you provide for us to give us the victories that you want us to have, to have the joy in our lives that we should have, the peace, the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Pray for this morning that you would lift up our hearts, that you would give us a great time of worship, that your spirit would be here to take these songs and... Use them in our hearts to encourage us, uplift us. We pray for Steve this morning as he shares your word, that you would bring all the things to mind that you've shared with him this week, and that the Holy Spirit would take those words to encourage us as well. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I'm going to start with a uh, scripture song taken from the book of Psalms, Psalm 18. Uh, David was a fantastic uh, singer. One day we'll get to go to heaven and hear how all these songs, psalms actually sounded when he sang them. Uh, but right now we're going to try with our guitar. I will call upon the Lord. Uh, the ladies get to echo the men. So if you're familiar with that, please feel free. If not, you can sing along, whatever. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock, and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Oh, 
death. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth. And blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be So as Christians, we recognize that we are in a battle. I sense that every day, a spiritual battle. Satan tries in any way he can to pull us away from God, to keep us from experiencing what God has in store for us. And the Bible in Revelation says that they overcome by his word and by faith faith in Jesus Christ, faith in the promises that he gives to us, faith in his spirit who lives in us and gives us that power. So uh, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, we recognize faith is a victory. Encamped along the hills of light, ye Christian soldiers rise, and press the battle ere the night shall veil the glowing skies. Against the foe in veils below, let all our strength be hurled. Faith is the victory we know, that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory. Faith is a victory, oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. His banner over us is love, our sword, the word of God. We tread the road, the saints above, with shouts of triumph trod. By faith they like a whirlwind's breath, swept on or every field. The faith by which they conquered death is still our shining shield. Faith is a victory, faith is a victory, oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. On every hand the foe we fight, drawn up in dread array. Let tents of these be left behind, and onward to the fray. Salvation's helmet on each head, with truth all girt above. The earth shall tremble neath our tread, and echo with our shout. Faith is the victory, 
Before the angels he shall know His name confessed in heaven Then onward from the hills of light Our hearts with love aflame We'll vanquish all the host of night In Jesus' conquering name Faith is the victory Faith is the victory Oh, glorious victory Thank you. You may be seated. There are certain hymns to me that are um, joyful. They put a, a, a joy, a song in your heart. And this is one of them. This is, there's sunshine in my soul today, recognizing that Jesus Christ puts love and joy and peace in our hearts. Sunshine, blessed sunshine. There is sunshine in my soul today. More glorious and bright Than those in any earthly sky For Jesus is my light Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine When the peaceful, happy moments roll When Jesus shows his smiling face there is sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today. A carol to my key. And Jesus listening can hear the song I cannot sing. Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine. When the peaceful, happy moments roll When Jesus shows His smiling face There is sunshine in my soul There is springtime in my soul today For when the Lord is near The dove of peace sings in my heart the flowers of grace appear Oh, there's sunshine, blessed sunshine When the peaceful, happy moments roll When Jesus shows His smiling face There is sunshine in my soul There is gladness in my soul today and hope and praise and love For blessings which He gives me now For joys of the above Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine 
when the peaceful, happy moments flow, when Jesus shows His smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. The depths of love that Jesus has for us is beyond our ability to grasp. It's wider than the widest sea and deeper than the deepest ocean and higher than the heavens. It was what brought Jesus to the cross to die for us. The deep, deep love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus Vast, unmeasured Boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. Rest above, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore, how he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never, never more. How he watches o'er his loved ones Die to call them all his own All for them he interceded Watches o'er them from the throne Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus Love of every, love the best is an ocean, vast of blessing, tis a haven, sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of hands to me. to glory for it lifts me up to thee for it lifts me up to thee for it lifts me up to thee Steve comes up. Another reminder of what we have as Christians because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. Um, I'm reminded of Pilgrim's Progress where uh, the pilgrim was seeking 
relief from this huge burden beyond his ability to carry. And he was crossing, going through all these different things. Finally, he came to the cross. And when he looked up and saw what was there on the cross, the burden fell off his back and rolled down the hill and fell into an empty tomb. And that's what we have in Jesus Christ. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Glory to his name. Down at the cross where my Savior died Down where for cleansing from sin I cried There to my heart was the blood applied Glory to His name, glory to His name, glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to His name. I am so wondrously saved from sin, Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where he took me in, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied, glory to his name. Oh, precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the bottom line. Glory to his name. Today's reading is in the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, beginning excuse me, at the first verse and continuing to verse 13. Feel free to read it in a Bible you brought yourself or one in the pews or, or feel blessed by listening in.
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in serving, or he who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Father God, I want to thank you and help us to give you ourselves for you in service. Help us to align our minds to your will. Let us serve you by using our gifts to serve the body of Christ. And let us serve you not for fear of punishment, but out of love for the one who first loved us. And Lord, thank you for bringing us here together, giving us an opportunity to worship you in music and in the reading of God's word and the preaching of the same. Thank you for our pastor. Uh, he loves you, he loves your word, and he loves us. And I pray that you'd put in his heart what he would teach us today and you would have us listen with ears to hear and take heart in uh, what he has to say. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good to see every one of you here. 
on this Lord's Day. Glad that you could be with us. Indeed, it's an encouragement that we can be here together. There's a verse that, uh, sort of a life verse, I think of quite frequently, Psalm 26.3. And it covers the ground. It says, your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. We need the love of God. We need the truth of God. We need it every day, Steve, in this introduction talked about our relationship with the Lord and we need the Lord and that word truth um, I think I, I said this before but I'm just so affected by what's going on in our world today our country particularly I, I've never seen anything like it the verse I think I've mentioned before truth is being trampled on the streets uh, Psalm 11 says if the foundations are destroyed what do we do there is no doubt that truth is being trampled on the streets. There's no doubt that the foundations are being destroyed in our country like never before. It's obvious. It's obvious. That's why I'm so glad that, that, that we can be Christians and that we can join together and that we can look at the truth, that God has given us a Bible, that God has given us a word, that we can together learn the truth, but also personally, individually, um, before the Lord, learn from Him. That's why my favorite time of the day is out in the back porch, you know. And of course, recently the weather's been really, really nice. You know, the back there, the birds and the squirrels and the cats, and 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 just reading God's Word. And uh, one thing I've been going through lately, and it's just, I'm doing, I'm taking a real slow read. I read different things in the morning, but I'm going through the prophets in Isaiah, and I'm in Jeremiah. I love the prophets. It, it really helps me understand what's going on. And we need that. We have to have the truth of God to understand what's going on. That's why we're blessed. And with that, not just know the truth, and the, today's message really uh, relates to the fact that God has given us things to do. God has given us, as Christians, a purpose. And without that, then, you know, there, there are some people out there that they're upset and complaining about what's going on in the country, and they, they, they don't know what to do. We know what to do. We know what to do. We know the truth. We know the gospel. We know that God has given us a purpose, and today's message relates to that. And so, my notes here. When a person becomes a Christian, many good and wonderful things happen to him at that time. He's born again, he's justified becomes righteous in the sight of God. He's redeemed. He's forgiven of all his sins. He's adopted into God's family. God becomes his heavenly father. He's given eternal life. He's given hope that is, is a wonderful and eternal, a perfect future. It's really amazing all that God gives us. And I've just mentioned a few things. There's many more things be, besides. But there's one thing I want to talk about today that happens when we become a Christian. We become a servant of God. We become a servant of God. A person who's a servant has a master. And so, too, as a Christian, we have a master, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became our master because he, he, he died for us, and he redeemed us. He served us by, by buying us out of spiritual slavery. And this is so important. As Christians, we're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to the devil. But, in fact, then we're slaves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, he owns us. He possesses us. A true Christian then isn't off by himself doing his own thing, but he knows the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and he then calls him his master, and he serves him. That's what he does. And being a slave of Christ, and I've said this before, it's not a 9-to-5 job, it's a 24-7. It's our entire life. It's, it's, it's every day, it's every week, it's forever and ever and ever. It says in, in many places, I was reading Revelation 1, it says we become a priest, and priests are ones who offer sacrifices to God. Every one of us, First Peter 2 talks about this, says we're a priest. We offer sacrifices. We are servants. We serve the Lord. Now, Christians are greatly loved by the Lord, and they need to experience this love on a continual basis. That's why that verse, I love that verse, your love is ever before me. A verse I think of probably every day, that last verse of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy or surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I always need to be reminded of that truth, of his great love for us. Psalm 86, it says, Great is his love toward us. He delivered us from the depths of the grave. In um, 1 John 4, I've come to know and I believe the love that God has for me. Such an important truth. And I would hope that every one of you could say yes. I have come to know, I believe, I'm convinced the love that God has for me. And God's love then should be that which motivates us to love and serve him. And being then a servant of, of Christ, being a servant of God then should never be something we feel like we have to do. Something we want to do. Because we know how much he loved us. There's a number of examples of people in the Bible who are servants. I mean, I'm just going to read a bunch here, a number, like ten of them or so. Exodus 14 says, They believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. First Samuel 25, Abigail arose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your maidservant is a maid to wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Psalm 89, I have David, my servant, with my holy oil I have anointed him. Luke 22, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. Philippians 1, 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus. In the New American Standard, when it says bond servant, that also, and could probably be better translated as slaves. I believe the translators years ago didn't, because of how we think in this country, didn't want to use the word slaves, and so they used the word bond servants, okay? But it's a slave. Doulos, James 1.1, 1, 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Romans 16.1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, in Colossians 4, 7, Paul said, As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. So all these examples, the, the point is this, if you have a godly person in the Bible, then, then they're a servant. That, that's, that's what you see. And the same with us. For us to be godly, we need to be ones who are servants. What's the character of a servant? A servant is humble. And they see, and in that he sees himself as subordinate to and ranking under someone else. In this case, we're talking about Jesus Christ, and therefore he serves him. He's, he's a humble person. Secondly, he loves his master. His duty and allegiance is to his master because he knows that his master loves him. It's not a cold duty. It's, it's not just some cold responsibility. There's warmth, there's affection, there's heartfelt devotion. Probably the, one of the best examples in the Bible is that of David. You just read the Psalms and you, you just, you know, it's, it's obvious the Lord's, or David's love for the Lord. This first Psalm 63, because your love is better than life. What a verse. 
because your love is better than anything else in life, then my lips will praise thee. My lips will sing to thee. That's what it says in those verses. Thirdly, a servant is faithful. He's faithful to his master. He's devoted. He's committed. He's consistent day after day and week after week and for his entire life. Then he is one who is loyal and faithful to the Lord. Hebrews 3, 5, speaking of Moses. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant. And of course, you read, you read back in Exodus and, and look at the Pentateuch about, about Moses. Man, that guy was a servant. How did he do that? I've said this so many times. How did he ever serve two million people? It was only the grace of God. That's what it was. But he was definitely faithful. Fourth, a servant obeys his master. He does what his master wants him to do. Turn to Luke chapter 17. Verses I've looked at before, but I love these. Sometimes there's certain verses, and I, and I hope you're like this too, where I just read them, and I read them again, and I read them again. They're so good. I mean, it's not like, and that's why sometimes I repeat myself here, because the truth is, is important, and we need to be reminded of the truth. Seven, Luke 17, 7 to 10. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and, and sit down to eat? So, so here you have the word slave, and the translators use the word slave. They didn't put bondservant. Interesting. Because back then, there were slaves that first century. Which of you having a slave plowing or lending, tending sheep will say to him when he comes in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe, your, clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, did he? Does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. Isn't that something? We, we always look for commendation and praise. Hey, look what I did. <laughs> no, you just serve the Lord. You say, this is what I was supposed to do. This is the attitude that God wants us to have here, to be obedient in that way. And with it, then, a servant sacrifices his life. The thing about Jesus Christ, and first and foremost, he was one who sacrificed his life to the Father. He he, he loved his father, and he loved us. And so Jesus then sacrificed his life for us. That's what he did by dying on the cross for us. Verse that, that Jeff read in Romans 12, it says, Present yourself as a holy and living sacrifice. That's how we're to think. That's how we're to live. That, that mentality. You get up in the morning, Lord, here I am. Whatever you want today. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person I like things organized. I like to have a schedule. I write things out. I plan that way. Uh, and I don't like things to change. But the Lord says, hey, hey, I'm in charge here. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. And that we need to have that, that humility, that sense before him that, yes, Lord, I'm listening to you. Whatever you say, whatever you want me to do, I will then do. Next, the servant humbles himself before others. The servant is not selfish but sees the interest of others as being more important than his own. That's a tough one, isn't it? You're thinking about others first. It's so easy. It just, it's just common. I'm thinking about what I want, what I want, what I need, what I want to do. No, a real servant is thinking about others first. That's what he is doing. And so it's important then that you see yourself as a servant. In fact, that may be the most important thing today. Do you see yourself as a servant of God? Do you see yourself as one who is to serve him it's one who's ministering and devoted to God, to Jesus Christ, to the church, and to the people that God put.
banquets in your life. Having this mindset that you're a servant, that you're not living for yourself but for God and others, will then define your life. It'll define your purpose and the things that God wants you to do. There's no doubt. It'll orient everything for you if you see yourself as a servant. Some more things you need to understand about being a servant. Number one, God called you to be a servant. It's not your desire. It's not your purpose. It was God's desire, God's purpose for you to be a servant. That's what he wants. Being a servant of God, a servant of Jesus Christ, is his will, his purpose for your life. If you are a Christian, that's what he wants. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. There's no doubt that, again, uh, Paul and other writers in the, in, in the Bible, they, they saw themselves as servants. Ephesians 3, 1. Ephesians 3, 1 and 2. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. He understood that this was God's work in his life. We continue on down to verses 7 and 8. Of which I was made a minister or a servant according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. I was made a minister. And, and, and the idea I mentioned before that we become a Christian, we then are at that time a servant of God. But there's no doubt, and you all understand this, that as you go through life as a Christian, God's working in your heart, helping you to be a better and better and better and a more effective, more godly servant. That's what he's doing. That's, that's part of his process with you. Go on to verse 8. It says, To me then, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. So he said, I'm the least. I'm a nobody. And he was indeed one involved in the murder of Christians. And so, but yet God still used him. With that, and we just read this thought in these verses here, it's by the grace of God that you can be a servant. It's not by your power. It's not by your effort. It's by what God then does in and through you. John 15, 5, apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. The verses that have sounded in my heart and mind throughout the years. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then it says in John, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, I am what I am by the grace of God, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain. It's so important to see that, that have that humility and say, God, it's got to be by you. Every day, every day, not just once in a while, not special occasions, every day it's got to be by the grace of God. And thirdly, then, it's for God's purposes and plans that you're a servant. That is, God has special plans, special things he wants each and every Christian to do. That, that, that just... That just, that thought just, that truth just gets me going. Okay, I'm here. God, you have me here. Why? I want to know why. And then I want to be effective. And we should all have that, that desire. It says in 1 Corinthians 3, 5, What is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed pile of water, but God made it grow. God has assigned. What assignment has God given to you? What assignments has God given to you? That, that should sober you up. God's got assignments every day of the week. Some are smaller, some are bigger, some might last an hour, some might last a week, some might last a lifetime. Okay, that's, that's God has assignments. So be thankful and encouraged that God chose you to be saved 
be thankful and encouraged that God chose you to serve him and that he then gives you the grace to do all the things that he wants you to do. As a servant of Christ, we continue just elaborating what does this mean to be a servant. As a servant of Christ, you're part of his body, that is part of his spiritual body. You've all heard of the church being called the, the, the body of Christ or the spiritual body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the body is a unit, though, is, though it is made up of many parts, and though all the parts are many, they form one body. The body is not made up of one part but of many. Profound truth there. It's given to us in 1 Corinthians 12, other places too, but that's the best place by far this whole concept of the body and that you are a part of it. What did we learn? There are many parts in the body, and you're but one of the parts. <laughs> the example of the body is so obvious. You think about your body. Well, there's my finger, and there's my elbow, and there's my ear. I mean, we all know that. It's the same principle. The church is a body. This body here has got different parts. One body, many parts. That's what God wants to understand. And so, even though we're equally important, this it says this and talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. As Christians, we need to see that we are equally important in the eyes of God, but we also need to treat others then as being more important. That's this whole concept of the servant. You know, and it goes on there in 1 Corinthians 12 about the eye. Hey, I'm really important. I'm the eye. I'm the eye. Look at me. You know, no, we need the eye. We need the ears. We need the feet. We need every part of the body. And so seeing others as being more important than is being humble and results in you having then a servant's attitude towards others. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, which communicates this so well. Philippians 2. Let's start with verse 1. Verse 1, really, we can't skip this. We have to see this as foundational. It says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then. And it has four different thoughts there. And as Christians, if we don't see that we have this love, this fellowship, this affection and compassion from God himself, then we can't serve others. That's why it's so important, so foundational. Make my joy complete, he says, by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to be, to, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And of course, this, this conveys here, you know, his spirit, Christ's spirit, and he no doubt was the single greatest example we have in the whole Bible of one who is a servant, one who was so high that went so low. I mean, you, you know what I'm saying. Here's God, and the spirit became God in the flesh and served us by dying on the cross for us. It's amazing, an amazing thing that, that he did for us. And so, since we're one body, since we're a unit, we need to work with others. You're not to work independently. You're not to be a lone ranger Christian. You need to work with others as a team. Example that I think of this, and I like watching sports once in a while. 
But I think of a basketball game, and one thing that really is really bothers me. So when you got a basketball player and he's a ball hog, y'all know what a ball hog is, right? I says, what is wrong with that guy? He's dribbling all over the floor. He's got four other teams just dribbling, dribbling, dribbling. Come on, you're not going to win. And, I, and it, it seems like I've seen it more and more in our culture the last five, ten years. Classic example, it was 1970. And again, I've liked sports through the years. It's 1970, I followed, not from Iowa, so I was watching the Iowa Hawkeyes. They had a good team that year. They were 14-0. They were really good. They won the Big Ten. And they had, a, they had a team, and this is really quite unheard of in collegiate. You see it in pros sometimes. They average over 100 points a game. 100 points a game as a college team. You know, 40 minutes a game. But, you know, I'd watch them pass, 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 shoot, pass, pass. They were, they were not selfish. They had good shooters, but they would pass. They wouldn't be ball hogs. The point is we need each other. We work together as a team. You all understand that. This also means there needs to be unity. And for there to be unity, there needs to be interaction. There needs to be communication in the body. That is, that we, we need to be ones who are of one mind. It says, says in 1 Corinthians 1, I exhort you that there be no divisions among you, but that you are made one, made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. So that, that's a strong exhortation, again, that God wants this unity. And oftentimes, and you'll think this, you'll see people and say, well, if we don't agree, well, if we have a, a church or you're in a family, especially if you're, you're married, you understand there needs to be communication. <laughs> You've got to talk things out because you don't always agree. You need to have that communication. It's so important. And there needs to be love because sometimes you don't agree, and there needs to be patience, gentleness, and kindness, compassion, all those things we see in 1 Corinthians 13. And you need to work together so as to fulfill the same purpose. It's so important. I, that verse in 1 Corinthians 3, 8, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. Two people, one plants, one waters, they have the same purpose. And so too here, we have to see that we are many parts, but overall our purpose is the same. Go make disciples, right? That's what God wants. Go reach the lost, that's what God wants. But the verses, and I've read these, but I, I, Ephesians 2, The last few verses of Ephesians 2 convey this idea of unity, and they really are profound, and I, sometimes I should just work through them with you, but I'm just going to read them here. Ephesians 2.19, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You get that concept of unity here in these verses here in the middle to the end of Ephesians 2. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a whole temple in the Lord. The whole building being fitted together. You've all seen buildings being built. Yeah, they're just, you know, I love to see the construction that's being put together, being fitted together. And then it goes on in verse 12, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's what God's doing with the church. He's building us together. It may not always seem that way, but that's what it is. When we get to heaven, future, we're going to really see this unity. All different, yet all being built together, it says, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. And that's a wonderful way to say it, a dwelling of God in the Spirit. That's, that's, that's what God wants for us as, as Christians. Ephesians 4, 1, 1, 4, 5 talks about how God chose the members of the church long before this world was ever made. Simple truth, very important. He chose. I mentioned before, God's the one who planned. God chose 
the members long before this world was ever made. And now God and Christ are building the church according to their plan. Sometimes I get confused. One thing that confuses me as a Christian, it's sort of hard to understand, is, is, is God, why are there so many churches? And why does it seem there's so many divisions? I, I just can't always figure that out. I, I know there's some reasons, and I'm not going to go into that, but there's just a lot of divisions and a lot of churches all over the world and over the country and even this city. And it won't be that way in heaven. But, but, but the point is this, is that God is building the church. He's, he's doing it according to his design, according to his, his plan. That's, that's what he is doing. First Corinthians 12, 18, it says, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. I love that verse. In fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So as you sit here today, you, you have a sense of who you are, your person, your past and present, and what you're like, and your gifts, and he is arranging the body. He, he has placed you where he wants you to be. So important to see that. God puts the church together, and this means universal church. This means all the churches all over the world, and sometimes we, we fail to realize that. And it's good. Uh, that verse in Mark, I always forget, it's Mark 10 or 11. It says, is my house will be a house of prayer uh, for all the nations. Is it that it's good for you to be thinking about other places, other countries. And maybe just pray for one country. Lord, I pray for Colombia. pray for Italy. Lord, the church is over there. Pray. Pray for other other churches, other places. And the point is that God is building the church. And he's been building the church since that first day, since that day of Pentecost. That's what he's doing. And, of course, we know this, he's building each individual church. He's building this church. This, this church started way back in 1957, and, and I've talked to some of the pastors who've been here before, and there's different ways this church has gone. It's just very, very interesting what has happened. In fact, I don't know if I shared this story. Maybe I did. But if I did, I'll share it again. I met a guy, I think his name was Glenn Rieselman. He was at the Baptist camp. I go there with Raphael. We have a, it's a, it's a really nice steak meal about once a month over at camp, camp there. And but I sat next to this Glenn, and he was the pastor from 1984. Did I share this before? I don't know if I did. Anyway, 1984 to 1993. And here in 1984, there's probably, he said, about 150 people in the church. Then to get to 93, 2 and 3, he's down to about 50 or so, dwindling. And he said, and this is perfectly fine, there's a lot of Spanish come in the area that happened starting more in the 80s, and it was just hard for the church to grow. And so what happened was some Spanish people came up to Glenn and the leaders of the church and said, hey, we'd like to buy. Uh, You want to sell? So Glenn and the leaders said, yeah, we want to sell. We want to sell. Well, they went to the congregation and Charlotte was here back then. Congress says, no way, no. <laughs> that was it, they vetoed it. And because of that, I'm here today, and you're here today. Okay, God is sovereign. He's building it just the way he wants. He's doing the work that he wants to do. And the verse that we can claim for the whole church, the whole, whole world, all the churches, and this church here is that great one in Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. So we're small, and there's a number missing today. I'm not sure where everybody's at, but there's a number missing, but we're a small church, okay? I understand it. I, I, I see what's going on, but God says keep going. You be faithful. You build the church that he 
puts before you. That's what you do. So Christ then oversees and directs the work of the local church. And it's the Holy Spirit then who is working in and through the members of the church carrying out the work of Christ. Christ builds the church, that's what it says, but the Holy Spirit is actually specifically doing the work in your life and doing the work in each church, carrying out then the work of Christ. And the work and the ministry of the church, of course, should always be in accordance with the truths and the commands, the purposes that are laid out in his word. And so, too, the work you do as God's servant must be in accordance with the truth, the commands, the purposes that God has given to us. It's got to be that way. We have to go by the book. That's what we have to do. Now, as I said, God specifically arranges the parts of the body just as he wants them to be. Just as he wants. And the uniqueness, this is important to understand this, the uniqueness of a church body is often then, often then seen in the spiritual gifts that are in that church and, and, and in the diversity of the gifts in that church. So we have Bethel. Baptists are meeting here at 1245 today. And there's us. You go to their church, it's a wonderful church. Raphael and Tommy's back there. Wonderful church. But you know we're different. We're different. We have the same overall purpose, but you know one of the main reasons we're different is because of the giftedness. Raphael's wired different than me. I'm talking spiritually wired. He's spiritually gifted different. I mean, you talk to Tommy, he'll tell you. He knows me, and he, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. We're different, okay? The gifts of the members, the leaders of the church are different. That's the way it is. Now, every Christian then is blessed by God through the Holy Spirit with a spiritual gift that is useful and necessary for helping build up the body of Christ. I'll say that again. This is very important. Every Christian is blessed by God through the Holy Spirit with a spiritual gift that is useful and necessary in helping build up the body of Christ. That's it. Now, I say gift singular. Some people have more than one gift. Oftentimes they do. Sometimes the gifts they have are a blend. There's a certain blend. Um, this morning, I won't tell you exactly what happened, but I mentioned to my wife, you know, something that I would like, you know, something like to learn or have, or, and, and she's really good at the computer, so she, right away, she had a few minutes. She was on the computer helping. She was using her gift. And she found something, you know, and or something to read that relates to this subject that I was interested in. And so, when you have a gift, you typically like to serve in that way. You like that. You desire that. That's, that's what's going on here. Individuals' effectiveness in a local church is often then seen in the use of his or her spiritual gift. And your maximum, maximum effectiveness as God's servant means that you're actively using the gift that God has given you. Very important. Very important. You're using the gift that God has given you. And I'll say, also say this, that God develops your gifts over time. I just share my story very quickly, very, very briefly. Go back to 1976. I was in a church in Iowa, and that fall we had a conference up in Ontario, Guelph, Ontario, Canada. And I was there, and they were having a meal, and afterwards and they needed help doing dishes. So I started helping doing dishes. There was a, a conference in December, 
this one's out and we travel a little bit. We traveled to Denver for this conference and they needed help setting up chairs. So I, you know, I had a gift of serving, I guess, it helps, whatever. So I was helping with chairs. So the next year had another conference out in, in Colorado again. We had these ski conferences every year of all these mainly Iowa people, sort of funny, you know, in our <laughs> old Iowa clothes and going down the slopes. But anyway, um, so then the leadership wanted me to be in charge of the finances, okay? And you know who's in charge of the food? Now, this is a conference. This is a big conference. This is 2,000 people, no small thing. Guess who is in charge of the food? A lot of you know him here, Gary Galligan. That's when I first met Gary Galligan. He was in charge of the food. So I was working with Gary, and he, he, I need money, Steve, for this food. You know, we're talking. It's a big place. It's a lot of people, 2,000 people. So continue on and move through the years. It was 19... 93 and started the church up in Maryland up in the Silver Spring area and and uh, I was on a team I was with another person and I really had not taught much at all at that point in time in 1993 I was 40 years of age so we're talking I started teaching and I realized God gave me a gift to teach it was just a gift that's what had happened it wasn't like when I was 20 the point is I believe over time God can change gifts, he can develop gifts, he can, you know, you're in a certain place in a certain time and there's a certain gift needed. God can do things that way, okay? So that's, that's what happened with me. Now, the purposes and strength of a local church is seen when the members are collectively doing the work of God by using the gifts that God has given them. Okay, let me say that again. The purposes and strength of a local church is seen when the members are collectively doing the work of God by using the spiritual gifts that God has given to them. God has work for each church to do, and that primarily happens then when the members are serving God by using their gifts. Okay, very, very important that you understand and see this. No no two churches look alike. Each church is different. Each church is different from the other church. And what a church looks like most often then reflects the spiritual giftedness and in conjunction with giftedness, the ministries that church has. That's what it is. That's, that's what churches look like. A strong church is, in, is one in which the members are doing the work of God that God gave them to do, and they're using their gifts. That's a strong church. Whatever size it is, and I'm not talking about a strong church is a big church of a thousand people. Whatever size, this church is strong if the members are using the gifts that God has given to them. Example, I like watching sports. Watching the Bucks game last Sunday, they didn't do so good. But let me sum up uh, what happens in football and relative to gifts. If you have a football team and you're playing somebody, the first thing you need is what? You need 11 players to line up, right? That's the first. That's point number one. Point number two is what? They have to have different positions. That is, you can't have one quarterback and 10 wide receivers or one quarterback and 10 right guards. You need every position to be played, right? That's the second thing. The third thing is that the players all have to have talent or an ability. That is, you can't have a wide receiver playing right tackle. It's just not going to work. He's just going to get beat up all the time. So they have to have abilities, and that's where the giftedness comes in. We all have our gifts and our abilities. And the fourth thing is you have to use them. 
And so when Tom Brady was yelling at the offensive line, he was upset because, as he said later in the interview, he used the word execute. You weren't executing. You weren't doing your job. You weren't doing what you're supposed to do. You know, missing assignments or whatever, whatever it was. So the point is, that's, that's how it is with us, is we're a team, different members, we have our positions, we use our gifts, we execute. That's what makes for a strong church. Now, spiritual gifts can be divided into two general categories. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, serving gifts and also speaking gifts. And the gifts specifically are listed out in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, and also 1 Peter 4. Now, there may be others to place, but that's the primary places where they're at. Church ministry, then, can be both organized and spontaneous. Organized and spontaneous. And a church's ministries are one of the primary means by which the purposes of the church are carried out through the ministry of the church, okay? So, for example, in a, in a church, every church has three primary purposes. Exaltation, that means we exalt, we worship, we glorify God, we do that here. And Sundays we sing. Secondly, edification, which means this, the saints are built up, they're, they're, you know, disciples are being made. And thirdly, evangelism, reaching the lost. Exaltation, edification, and evangelism. And so the gifts that we have individually and collectively as a church relate then to carrying out those purposes. That's, that's what I'm saying here. Ephesians 4, turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That verse 12. The leadership is to be involved to equip the saints for the work of service. Big phrase, to the building up of the body of Christ. That is through their teaching, and it can be specific, it can be general. They are to be part then to really encourage the saints and train the saints. Verse 13, the purpose then, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. It's, it's a great purpose. To the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's, that's our objective. That's what God wants for us then as, as a church. And so as members use their gifts then, then um, well, the leaders are to equip the saints to do the work, and as the members then are equipped, then they can help other members, other people in the church, and then the church can become strong, can be encouraged, and then can be able to do the work that God wants them to do. Turn to Romans chapter one, and like how Paul says it here. Romans chapter one, verses long to uh, verses eleven and twelve. Paul says, "For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you." Isn't it interesting? It doesn't say it quite like that ever the places, but it's really true. I want to see you because God has gifted me, and I want to impart the gifts God has given me to you that you may be established, that you grow, be strong. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. That's, that's one of the definitions of fellowship. You're in a, in, a, in a church, and you're imparting gifts. They're imparting gifts. There's fellowship going on. There's love. And there's that unity. There's that building, and we need one another. And that's what he's saying here. Each of us, uh, 
by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So how does a Christian, Christian know what his gift looks like? I, I think I have some packets. Everybody get one of those packets? Packets. Did y'all get one? If you're down, to, down with their back at the, back at the, the table there. Um, but I explained there, one, one packet, one handout, talks more specifically about this question right here. But in general, this is what happens. person knows his gift. If, is he prays? Is God, what's my gift? He knows his gift as he desires then to serve God and to please God. He knows his gift then as he is involved in the church. person can't be just off sitting home. He's got to be with the members. And sometimes a person may not even really know what his gift is, but as he's with the members of the church, and the gift just comes out. That, that happens. That happens a lot. You're with the members. And I've seen this in group settings where we have a discussion about something, and one person's gift comes out, and he says this, another person says this. It's, it's so interesting to see how God then works with the different members and their gifts. So as he does this, then God will use him. And God will use his, his gifts then to minister to other people. And serving and ministering, as I said before, can take place spontaneously or as a believer is involved in some ministry in the church. And here at Pope Bible Church, and these, again, these this, uh, packets got all this information. We have gifts, and the gifts are talked about there. More specifically, I'm not taking time today to talk about what the gifts are. And there's different ministries that we have here in the church, 12 or 13 or so. You say, well, where are they at? Well, they're there. And you can read all about them there. But I would encourage you, I mean, some of you here, uh, you know, are new to this church or relatively new to this church. And, but I encourage you to read through that. That tells you about what we do, what we're like, our giftedness and our ministries. And so you can think about it. Some of you are already involved in gifts. That, and then they're already involved using your gifts and serving this church. That's wonderful. And others of you thinking about it and praying about it, we can read that, okay? And we can talk about it. We can pray about it more. But it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Again, you all understand the idea of working at a place, working at a job. And you all know this, especially in places where there's, you know, they're bigger, uh, more people involved. Everybody's got their job. Everybody's got their job. Everybody's got their purpose. And that's what God wants. And this, I tell you, I, 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 t I tell you, this, this is, is what God will help to bring encouragement to your soul and heart as you're actively serving, as you're actively building in the church, you're using your gift, not comparing yourself to anybody else. You do in your part. One man plants, another waters, God caused the growth. And that's, what, that's what, what God wants. We have very interesting 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 12 is all about the gifts that God gives us. That's the main thing. 1 Corinthians 13 is, hey, love. You've got you to gotta use the gifts and be loving. It can't just, you know, it's, it's got to be love. You know what 14 is about? 14, you know the main phrase that appears in that, that chapter about five, six times, seven times? Edifies the church. As you use your gifts, as you use your gifts in a loving way, then chapter 14, the church is edified, the church is built up, the church can grow. That's what he's saying. See, that's what God wants for us here in this church. So let's just conclude with that, just to thank the Lord for our time here. And if any of you have any questions about this, of course, feel free to talk to myself, Giovanni, Bruce, or Ralph as well. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this really important message here in terms of truth about how we can be servants in general and servants specifically then using the gifts that you give us. And I would pray, Lord, that everyone here would, would be excited and encouraged. Yes, 
Lord, I want to serve you, and I want to serve you however you want me to serve you, because really it's, it's what you want. And we are here, Lord, to be humble before you and humble before others and use the gifts you've given us so that we can then be doing what you want and, 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 and for your purposes and glory then help the church to grow. Thank you again for each one here, Lord. We know that we go through life, and sometimes there's sunshine in my soul, and sometimes there's not. It's a good song, but I understand, too, that sometimes we're sad. Things can be hard. There can be trials and difficulties. And I pray, wherever we're at, Lord, that you'd encourage us and help us to be ones who walk by faith and, and know what it means to rejoice always. Sunshine in my soul might sound different than rejoicing always. But we always can rejoice because, God, you're always reigning. You're always in control. You're always doing what's right, and we can trust you. And you're holding on to us in ways that we cannot understand. You keep us, it says in Psalm 73. You'll hold our hands, and then afterwards you'll take us to glory. We bless you for that. But I just pray for each one here, God, that you'd strengthen their hearts, that you'd help them to trust you, to walk by faith as they go through the things you have for them, their relationships or the conflicts or their situation at work or things with their family, Lord. And I pray, God, that you'd use us, help us to be ones who are strong in you. It says be strong in the Lord, and sometimes it's hard. We feel weak. It says that even. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Might we, God, learn what it means to be weak in ourselves, but strong in you? That's a tough one. Because we, we so much can go by how we feel. And, and Lord, we must more and more learn to walk by faith. That, that, that we can be weak, but we can be strong in you, and that's what's really important. That's what you want. And it's, it says in that text there, that passage, verses 11 and 12, that, that, that it's for your sake. It's for your sake, God, that we're weak, that we can then be strong and serve you. But again, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for ones who couldn't make it. I do think of Bruce and the situation with his mom, and, and she's slowly, uh, she's getting weaker and weaker, and she probably won't be here in this earth too much longer. I give grace to Bruce and to Carol, Lord, and help them. And Indeed, it's been difficult, but I ask you for that. And for Myrna, too, Lord, who has just called me yesterday in just severe pain, and her back and her lower back were just, as she said, it was beyond, on the 1 to 10 scale, is over a 10. So give her grace. Others, Lord, too, that couldn't be here today, we ask you for them. But thank you again for this time. Thank you for the Matthew meal we can have together, too. We just bless you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a couple things very quickly here. Um, we are having our, having our um, banquet, banquet, barbecue, a banquet. A barbecue in, in a few weeks, and looking forward to that time, and invite your guests, and we're going to be inviting the meat, and we're going to have some uh, side dishes, too. We'll put out a, a little sign-up uh, sheet next week for that, and also I mentioned we're going to not have everybody give gifts, but we're going to have gift giveaways, gift cards, and things like that as, as prizes. That'll be an encouraging time. Also, I want to let you know that, that I'll be uh, leaving town uh, this Thursday, going up to Nebraska be with my family. Last year at this time I went up there with my wife and we both got COVID, so we came back. Didn't get to see my family, so hopefully nothing like that happens this time. But I ask for your prayers uh, for that time. And one more thing. Uh, when I do a blog post, I put the copy back there. There's a new one I just put out. It's back there on the table. Thank you. Morning. Um, 
upcoming events, October 26, uh, Bible study and fellowship right here at 645. If you have uh, time, you're welcome to come. Also, uh, November the 2nd, that will be the prophecy Bible study also at 645 right here at the fellowship hall. Uh, Steve touched on the uh, November 12th, the church barbecue. Uh, feel free to come and invite your friends, neighbors. That will be a great time for uh, fellowship um, for, for that time. Uh, also today we, we have the um, Matthew meal. And Bethel has decorated the fellowship hall and the tables. They're having a celebration today at 3 o'clock. But we have separated some tables for us. The tables without the tablecloth. Sit in those, please. Uh, there's three or four, I think, that we separated for that. And then when we finish, we will put back the way they have decorated. Um, also, we have, well, you, when the doors are open, you know, you're welcome to come and serve yourself. Uh, now we have the last couple of songs. Our offering is still on the website, and also we still have uh, the box in the back. Thank you. Have a great week. invite you to stand for our last two songs. <clears throat> Most of us here have our um, homeowners, got a house. Uh, sometimes they're money pits. You got a lot. Of <laughs> uh, I've lived in one for a lot of years. I've had to fix a lot of things, but I got another house. It's not here. It's not on earth. God's building one for me, and it's perfect for me. I'll never have to fix anything in it, and it'll be a glorious place to live. So when the roll is called up yonder, I'm going to be there. The trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning breaks eternal bright and fair. When the saved of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, when the when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of his resurrection share. When his chosen ones shall gather to their home beyond the skies and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Let us labor for the Master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all His wondrous love and care. 
And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll, when the roll is called up yonder, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And uh, one more that talks about that. Jesus, in, as he's talking to his disciples, said, I got to go. But when I go, I'm preparing that place for you. He reminded us it's a promise that we have that home beyond the skies, that we have a place that Jesus is preparing for us in my Father's house. In my Father's house there are many, many rooms. In my Father's house there are many, many rooms. I'm going up there now to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may also be. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again. If I go prepare a place for you, I will come back again. You know I am the way, the truth, the life. Keep my command that where I am, there you may also be. That where I am, there you may also be. Up where the truth, the truth will set you free. In the world you will have trouble, but I leave you my peace. That where I am, there you may also be. Remember you did not choose me, no, I have chosen you. Remember you did not choose me, no, I have chosen you. The world will show you hatred, the world will show you truth, that where I am there you may also be. I come down from the Father, time for me to go back up. I come down from the Father, time for me to go back up. One command I leave you, love as I have loved, that where I am, there you may also be. That where I am, there you may also be. Up where the truth, the truth will set you free. In the world you will have trouble, I leave you my peace. That where I am, there you may also be. That where I am, there you may also be up where the truth, the truth will set you free. In the world you will have trouble, I leave you my peace. That where I am, there you may also be. benediction from three different verses in 2 Thessalonians 3 on love, peace, and grace. Verse 5, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Verse 16, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. And verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.